Welcome to the Talent Rebelcast. My name is Elin Bailey, and along with me is my co-host, Tracy Parsons. Tracy and I have been getting together for what seems like forever now to, well, chit-chat about talent. One day after a few too many cocktails, we thought, what the heck, let's press record. And that's how we got here. We hope you'll listen in and find this a little bit fun, interesting, and just the teeniest bit inspiring. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, Tracy. How are you today? We're good. It's still morning here in the East Coast. Is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nine, ten. I guess it is. I guess it is. You know how I judge morning? If it's past 1030, it can't be morning anymore because that's when McDonald's stopped serving breakfast. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, it's not that so, I eat it. Didn't they? Oh, no. It's the only thing I will eat at McDonald's. So when they <laughs> rolled out, and not to be like snobby like that, but that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just not a big hamburger person. I love, I will drive miles out of the way for an Egg McMuffin. I love an Egg McMuffin. Love it. What is it with the Egg McMuffin? Okay, yes, agreed. So, hey, we are carrying on our series of um, conversations with smart people, which I am absolutely loving, by the way. And we have one of our jointly favorite people who we have been um, keeping on on the sidelines, waiting to bring out with the big guns. We have Julia Levy joining us today, who is the Global Talent Acquisition at Conscope. Hello, Julia. How are you? Hello, ladies. Hi, everyone out there. In radio land. Are yeah. you, hey, Julia, you're on the East Coast, right? I am. So it is past McDonald's hour for us. And I'll tell you, they used to do breakfast all day long, anytime. I know. And they got rid of it. And um, it's very disappointing on a Saturday or Sunday morning when you just miss it by a couple minutes. Yeah. That's why it's, that's it's why everybody knows the 1030 thing, right? Because that few extra seconds can really, it's the difference between an Egg McMuffin. You could get some of that um, McDonald's. Has anybody like gotten into like the McDonald's um, coffee where they tried to pretend they were like the cheaper version of Starbucks and they were going to serve you? your mocha latte from the McDonald's drive-thru that the teenager was going to make for you? Yeah, I, I I didn't get into that. Julia, did you get into that? No, no. And I'm definitely a no. Starbucks or a craft coffee and not a Dunkin' girl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not Dunks. I, I like, yeah, I we have a wonderful coffee shop in, in our little town called Kitty's. It's fantastic, like so handcrafted, right? And again, man, I'm coming across as a big old bougie pain in the ass today. I'm going to stop talking. You know? <laughs> oh no, wait, we're going to make you sound even bougier. So this is <sighs> this is my favorite thing from today. So Tracy is mm-hmm. um um at the horse show with her son, who is competing in his equestrian events, and she told me, <laughs> and then she sent me a picture of it. It's like the best thing ever. Tell them what they have there. Talking about coffee, okay. Right. So they have a Starbucks at this amazing facility and the Starbucks here has a ride through window. So you can ride through on your horse and grab your coffee. Awesome. It was amazing. I was like, get the hell out of here with that. There are some parallels to candidate experience. If you think about knowing your persona and knowing your audience, they just provided the perfect experience. Exactly. They did. They did. And this, I, th- this facility is just remarkable like it's just it's really designed for 
the animal and the rider. Like it's just very thoughtful, which is what a good experience is all about, right? Absolutely. So Julie, one of the first ways that I got to know you um, was um, we were we were jointly speaking in an event years ago. Oh my God, we're getting old. A long time ago. One of the things you were you were up and you were talking about candidate experience and it was a recruitment marketing um, kind of focused conference. And at the time I thought, oh, this is really interesting. This is really cool stuff. And and you were brilliant and you you are brilliant um, in this space. And I, I learned a lot from what you had to share. Um, but as I've been kind of watching you over the years and kind of becoming more and more in tune with the community and watching what's going on with the community, I now realize how rare it was then and how rare it is today to have somebody mm-hmm. who is really the 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 lead in the talent acquisition space. Kind of you're you're the head of global talent acquisition for Comscope. And before that, you have had other kind of head of global talent acquisition roles who is so vested in the candidate experience in recruitment marketing. Did you come to that before you started leading TA or were you leading TA and then got into recruitment marketing? Which came first, the chicken or the egg for you? TA came first, but caring about candidate experience or people's journey around their career came before TA. I got my master's in career counseling. I I went into recruiting But it's always fascinated me to learn about people's choices within their career, uh, what makes them happy, why people go to a job, leave a job. So the psychology behind people's choices of their career paths has always fascinated me. And so that's probably the beginnings of that And the candidate experience as a subsection of talent acquisition or marketing, um, when you think of recruitment, marketing, and branding, evolved. In my career, I worked in as a recruiter. Then I moved more on the kind of program and project management side of talent acquisition and strategy. And then um, took a detour for a couple years in internal communications. When I was at MetLife, I worked in the internal comms group for a couple of years and then went back into recruiting. It's probably been this little bit of a zigzag journey for me, but I've always known where around my North Star and where it was. So, and I think it's interesting that you, that you link this idea of the candidate experience, um, the larger um, kind of building that recruitment marketing or recruitment experience framework around this idea of just career experiences as well. I think that that's, I, I think a lot of times um, those things aren't necessarily connected with for people, but they should be. So do you find it um, when you like are, one of the things you're really good at, Julia, it, um, is that you're like this awesome networker. You have like all these connections everywhere. Like if I want to know if somebody knows somebody, I have to tell you, the first person I call is is you, and then I'll call Tracy, right? <laughs> or or connect me and say, do you know so and so? And and so my question is, is like in your like community of of TA leaders and in this space, do you find they're talking recruitment marketing? Because I have to say, as a recruitment marketing leader, trying to work with um, leaders who are, who are in the recruiting space and TA talent acquisition um, directors and leaders. 
you know, recruitment marketing was kind of like the side thing. It wasn't necessarily something they fully understood. I felt like we were always selling it in. Do you find that yeah. there's a difference between your perspective and, and your counterparts when you collaborate with them? Yes. I think that there's the kind of employer brand recruitment marketing community. And there's some, what I would call more TA practitioners like me that are very ingrained in it, but a lot of people it's, you know, five or 10% off the side of their desk, which is where I was for a long time trying to build the case at past organizations to build out a, a small team or function or practices. And I think that a lot of TA leaders get it, but probably did not roll up their sleeves and embrace it maybe in the same way that I have. Yeah. I would agree with that 100%. I mean, I, I really do, because one of the things that I find so remarkable about what you do, Julia, it's the fact that you do have that North Star. And a lot of times I see people elevated to a TA role in leader, a leadership TA role, and they don't have that North Star, right? They, they're looking at it a little bit differently. They're looking at it a, around how they how they serve the business first and the candidate second. But I love that you come about it where, yes, these are, these are sometimes competing goals between the organization and the and candidate and the employee, but they don't have to be. And how can we find this happy medium? So I kind of look at you as like an arbiter of, of happiness, right? So how do we make everybody on both sides happy? It's challenging. <laughs> it's not easy, um, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's a hard thing. At the end of the day, you know, my accountability is to the business and trying our best to meet their demands. Um, it, but I try and do it in a way that puts the candidate journey on as equal footing as I can. And knowing that it's, it's an evolution on both ends. Right now, we're actually going through a process optimization project and we've got work streams looking at candidate experience, recruiter experience, and hiring manager experience. Walk through those journey maps for each of those audiences and then look at the intersections of them all. But beyond that, I think there are some insights and change management activity that has to happen in order to move some of those needles. And so explaining to business leadership or hiring managers about how the candidate journey and candidate expectations have changed. We're in a pretty volatile and interesting time right now coming out of COVID. <laughs> we, we went yeah. from this really, you know, competitive market to everything kind of crashing and burning and having a, a significant influx of people available. But, you know, then there's the, virtual versus remote and all of that. But we're in this now marketplace where people are leaving organizations at a faster pace. The The war for the talent is just in such a unique place now. I sometimes have, have trouble d- defining or, or speaking eloquently about all the different thoughts that are going on in my head about what, what talent acquisition is right now in this moment. Do you think, Julia, and as I was listening to you speak, one of the things I was thinking about is a lot of people who listen, um, like I mentioned, um, to the podcast come from this kind of recruitment marketing uh, framework or bench or background or come from kind of this specialty area. And, And I can tell you, right, part of their challenge is that they have a really 
hard time being able to do what you spend so much of your time doing, trying to articulate to the business leaders and to the partners that they're working with the value of what they're doing, but also how it connects to the impact that the larger TA organization can make. And particularly given the times that we're in right now, I think this is so important, right? Because everything's so topsy-turvy and just wacko at the mm-hmm. moment, right? We're all trying to figure out what we're doing there. When leaders in, in, in these different spaces or when you're trying to coach people on your own team, um, how to talk about the impact of their work in, in the recruitment marketing space or in general, just in, in the sourcing space, even for example, or in some of those areas to the larger talent acquisition impact? Are, are there tactics that you think are better than others that people should be thinking about? I don't know where I got the phrase like moments from matter, moments that matter or meaningful moments. And to me, that's what you need to focus on is that connection and the emotional. How can you get an emotional connection with a candidate? And talking with hiring managers, so a bit of it's educating hiring managers, uh, some of it's showing examples. So I am. I keep my thumb as best I can on the pulse of what other companies are doing and doing well and showing examples from either our competitor or other, other organizations that are, are seeing success with different tactics. But a lot of it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight that someone's going to have this aha moment and jump on board. You really do have to kind of chip away. And something else that I think that has served me well is not trying to boil the ocean Mm -hmm. and that you can't be good at everything. So I I look at some brands that, that do things really well and they're doing well on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and they're everywhere. Well, I'm a team of... I have one recruitment marketing specialist, Kristen, on my team who's fabulous. And then we've got some recruiters that have taken to social that are, are good advocates. But it's Kristen has a full-time job and it's a part of my job. Yep. And that's it. And we can't be everywhere and we can't be great on every platform. So we need to pick which one we want to really dig into and focus a lot on that and then spend a little bit of time testing out other things. But you can't be everywhere and be successful. So I think that is one of the things. And then it's just sharing those stories and making emotional connections with candidates and do it one business group at a time or one department at a time and then build on that success instead of trying to roll it out globally. Do you think, Julia, that that your lens around that or your ability to do that, to think that way around kind of how do you... How do you figure out and scope what's actually feasible? How do you then plan that and and be able to figure out how you phase elements in, figure out what's what's important and what's not important? Is part of what makes you able to lead or part of your part of your perspective as a TA leader, not to and, and that's what you bring to the table and, and maybe something that that recruitment marketing professionals who want to move into spaces like yours need to acquire? Or do you think that that's just a natural tendency you had anyway? Maybe a little of both, but I think that you you need to be able to clearly identify the problem you're trying to solve and then spitball and, and use data and come up with some solutions to get to 
what your end result, where, you know, where you want to be. A little bit of it, it might be fake it till you make it with trial, A-B testing and trial and error and things like that. It's not really faking it, but you're, you try different approaches to get to where to the end point is. And sometimes you're pleasantly surprised that the end point isn't exactly where you thought you'd be, but it's somewhere pretty cool. That happens a lot, some unexpected results. But a little bit, it is that just rolling out global programs and tying and using data to make your business case and a little of its intuition. I'm pausing because I'm wondering, I can tell Tracy has something to say, but she's, I'll go forward and Tracy will just interrupt No, me. I'm just hanging that, I'm just letting it all hang in the air. I, I love when Julia was talking about <laughs> moments that matter. And that was really something that I also took away from The Power of Moments, which was a Heath Brothers book that I read a couple of years ago. I think I did a session at, uh, at TA Week a couple of years ago about that. Like, you know, but what I find interesting and what I would like to dig into a little bit is to rewind for a second. And you're working on all these different work streams of recruiter and hiring manager and candidate experience and how they intertwine. And one of the things I want to kind of dig into is, you know, who's the... If if all of these are experiences are equally important, is there a hero? Is my first question. Well, I guess that depends on who you're asking, right? <laughs> yeah, and everyone's the hero of their own story. And I think that's what I that's what I'm trying to get at. Like uh, those three audiences that you're talking about have often competing yes. goals. And it's what we were talking about at the at the top of the you know at the top of the pod that you're very good at managing audiences with competing goals. And in this workshop, I'm interested to see how you're going to tackle or are already tackling the competing goals of these three audiences, because they do have really competing aims. And one of the things like when we, when I do this work for our customers, the one thing that I constantly remind them, I was like, you guys, there has to be a hero. There has to be it in a competing situation. Somebody has to trump the other. Right. Because because we have to make that decision. So I just wanted to know what your take on that was. To me, the hero's got to be the business. Our customers are paying for our services. And so we need to find the right talent. It is important for us to make sure that our talent is that we're identifying, we're identifying the problems that we need to solve. We're highlighting to the talent not just about our employer value proposition and that you'll get these great benefits or these learning opportunities, but the impact that this position, that this opportunity, that that whoever steps into it can have on our business and our customers. And listen, we are all Comscope's customers. If you use Wi-Fi, if you're in a hotel, if you're in a sports arena, if you're in a city, like you're, if you connect to the internet, if you're streaming TV services, like you are using some of our products and services very likely. The consumer is moving at a speed of light. We need to keep up with that from technology innovations and being able to talk with When someone like a moment that matters is explaining to a candidate that the project that they're going to work on, that that technology provided internet access for school children in underrepresented areas in the US or India or whatever country, or we helped keep the internet running for a healthcare system 
in the height of COVID or this sports arena for, you know, a big soccer or football event. There's ways that you can take that business, the hero, and what the hero storyline is and make it meaningful for the protagonist or the second level actor in the story. I'm going to diverge from you on this point. And, and I completely understand what you're saying. Without the business, there is no internet. But I would also argue that without candidates yep. and without employees, there is no business. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Like, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And that's probably why you are the leader of global talent acquisition, right? And I am not. Uh-huh. But I will tell you that that in my world, in the work that I do for customers and the work that I do to bring a voice to the candidate audience, I will die on the hill that for me, the candidate is the hero. But I hear what you're saying. It's hard supposed to take, right? I mean, th- I mean, that's part of the that's part of the challenge. You know, when you when you talk about this, Julia, to me, it reminds me of conversations I would have early on when I was talking to people about what experience design is all about, right? The intention here is not that you don't want to understand your candidate inside and out and figure out what makes them tick and how you can um, support them, provide them the right context, tell them the right stories, do all these things. But the essence of it is, is that we're not doing this. I mean, I, as much as I, you know, you know how much I agree with you, Tracy, and that, you know, the, the, the world is changing and employees are definitely um, taking the lead story here. And I think this is part of the transition we're going to be going through. But at the end of the day, businesses, right, as a, as someone working inside the business, leading a talent acquisition organization, et cetera, your primary charter or scope is to help the business create better profit, better impact, better be a better business through through helping them get access to the best talent available. And yep. what that means sometimes is that you're using all your information about the candidate experience and et cetera to help manipulate them to to connect to to you and your opportunities and and to the business. You're helping guide them in their choices and selections. The whole point of experience design is understanding why people make the decisions and choices they do, and then helping drive their feelings in that direction so that their thoughts go that way so that they take the actions that you want them to take, which is really, it sounds so Machiavellian, but at the end of the day, that that is the essence of the work. It doesn't mean the candidates aren't important. It just means you're responsible for helping this business be successful. That's why they hired you. Yeah, I'd say maybe not manipulate, but influence. <laughs> I know. Well, see, this is I, I. This is why I get in trouble every time I say it. I'm like, but you, but, but the truth is, you are manipulating them. I mean, that's the but whole point. The whole it's all based in psychology. This idea of how do you get people to do the things you want them to do? It's the same way you get the business to invest the way you want them to invest. You learn enough about the people who are driving um, the investments to figure <laughs> out how do you create a sense of emotion or drive for them a sense that. Um, they want to take a particular action, you put those things in place and then you hope that they, you know, that you hope that you got it right. And so they'll, they'll give you the funding that you want. And I think that the listening part is critical. So if if I'm a TA leader or practitioner and I'm only focused on the business results and not listening to the recruiters or not listening to the candidates, then there's a big miss and we're never going to be successful. So it is, I guess, a, a tripod that that can balance when all things are uh it's not all things are equal right tracy you're pushing that there's a hero in the story so all things can't always be equal but 
um, equal enough where you're not tipping over all the time. Yep. Teresa, I can, I feel the evil eye coming from you through the, it's okay. Well, I keep going on and off mute because I'm in a really wacky situation. You're not reading the room incorrectly. You know where I struggle. And it's this very conversation, right? It's, it's this constant, uh, belief that, that there is the need for two sides and that, yes, there is a hero and maybe there's not. And everybody has competing interests, right? And I hear this all the time. I always side with people first, right? People first, people always. It's not like I'm always right, but it's something that I'm going to push that bruise because so many organizations forget that it's actual people. But there's value in that, right? So like, let me give you an example. I mean, I think if you're going to, to Julia's point, right, it is a three-legged stool at the end of the day. If you do not have somebody like yourself, Tracy, or a really great recruitment marketing professional in the, in the organization, or just somebody who has an affinity in general for um, the, the candidate or the employee experience and is really focused on driving and, and, and helping create the win there for them, you won't have an equal voice in the room, right? Because there are enough people mm-hmm. focused on the business that unless you bring that that candidate voice and 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 advocate for them, not just t- talk about what they need, but be an advocate for them, the stool will tip over. So there, yep. there's value yep. in that in in that perspective. It's just actually, I think this kind of goes back to that first part of the conversation we were having, Julia, which is, is it how do you? So you know, Tracy, I think is a good example of the mindset and the framework of many of us who are in that recruitment marketing space or, or come from that, that's, that's our focus. We're recruitment marketing leaders, grew up through the recruitment marketing frameworks and et cetera. Um, and so spend so much time advocating for one of the three in the triad of, of experiences that need to exist. Does that in essence make it difficult then to take on a role like you have, which is as the head of talent acquisition, you have to look at all three. Like you have to be the arbiter of truth at some level, right? But maybe that's the distinction between what it takes from one role to the other, like the ability to figure out how you can be open to listening to all options in that space. And balance it. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, you have to balance it because uh, if the business wants to do something that's just plain stupid... I'm going to speak up and, and talk about the consequences on the other two sides of either our process can't like, here's where you want to, mm-hmm. here's what you want to do. Let's talk about what you're trying to accomplish because sometimes what they think they want isn't exactly what they want. And then to be able to say, okay, here's the cost of doing that, whether it be to the candidate experience or the recruiter experience or the process you can't squeeze on one side of the balloon without the other side inflating. There's always some sort of little ripple and you just have to understand what those consequences are. At the end of the day, I'm accountable for helping the business be successful. One of the most important levers in that accountability is the candidate experience and then I'd say the employee experience. So if I I could have the best candidate experience, but when they walk in the door and employee experience takes over, if yep. that falls short, then yep. that's me laws. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that. You can't shovel a bunch of bullshit into the candidate experience and then have an employee experience that is completely not what you sold them. 
you're right. There are consequences to all of those things. And I love the fact that you're speaking up in those moments with the organization, because as you're working on these work streams, right, when you're creating three experiences that don't have different goals, I love that there is someone in the room looking out for the other two streams, right? Yeah. So I think that's very cool. Maybe that's the secret sauce, right? For for a TA practitioner and or someone who's in a recruitment, marketing, employer branding role as they're collaborating with their TA leader who might not be as well-versed or familiar. I think the listening, surveying, and hearing the voice of the candidate, I'm doing some skip-level interviews right now, because it's important for me to stay in touch with what the recruiting teams are going through, where their stressors are, what's working, what's not, who has a passion around recruitment, marketing, and candidate experience, who might not give a darn about it. And then that's a problem for me, right? It's just as important for me to dig in with my recruiters and listen to them as it is like we're revamping a candidate experience survey so that we can listen better to what is going on. And then the hiring manager and business leader conversations to say, who are you surveying for your candidate experience? Right now, we just have a new hire survey. So we're revamping that. And I think where we're landing is on two additional surveys not doing the new hire survey on the recruitment process. There might be some onboarding survey that happens later, but to do something on the upfront that any applicant could fill out on like, how are we doing? What's your career site experience? Did you find the information that you were looking for on the career site? So just like a little bit of that upfront piece, but I think Mm -hmm. that we'll be looking at and we haven't landed 100% for sure, whether it's everyone or a random sample, once the recruiter screens someone or there's any sort of touch point that happens from recruiter screen all the way through the process to hired, rejected, uh, like every status across the board from when a recruiter screens, for sure, we're going to do some either all of that or some of that. Whether we do something right after someone applies but didn't get a recruiter screen or applied, you know, didn't screen and got rejected, that population is still a little bit in question because I have found in past lives when that that piece of it, there's this halo effect and we weren't getting salt like we weren't getting good information out of it. And maybe it was the questions we were asking in a previous life. But that candidate black hole is important and I want to manage the candidate expectations there. But that that candidate journey from when the recruiter speaks to someone or emails them or calls them and through beyond is that critical path. No, it's super interesting because I think this is a question. Again, it's about kind of understand how are you going to get the information to understand these audiences from their from the direct function. We, it, it, I'm thinking about how important this conversation has been as we've kind of moved these pieces, pieces forward um, at, at EM as we think about the candidate, the picture, and, and start figuring out how can we gather the right insight at the right moment. So Julia, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. switch tacks on you for a second as we start to kind of go into the, the second part of this conversation. So I mentioned one of the things that you are exceptional at is that you are a networker like nobody's business. 
And so I'm particularly thinking about those individuals who are listening right now who want to build out their careers in this space a little bit more, want to um, grow and to find new opportunities. And um, but not just, you know, immediately, but just to kind of to build the ability to connect with others and and to have visibility in, in the community. What's your advice to people on that? What works for you? What have been like your big, how do people understand the secret sauce of how Julia makes friends with everybody? Listen, my dad used to tell me I could sell ice to an Eskimo. There's a bit that's just inherent in who I am and I've never met a stranger. And although I do feel like I'm an introverted extrovert as I've gotten older, but I find people so interesting. And as I mentioned before, like the careers, like, you know, people's journeys, I've just always been interested in what makes people tick or happy and, but it's, it's genuine. It's not a a fake desire to get to know people, but I'm, I read Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point years ago. Mm -hmm. So he talks about the different types of people and I, the connector resonated with me And just that, like, if I meet you and we start talking and you tell me about that you have an interest in whatever it may be, like, my mind goes to connect Tracy with my, like, so Tracy's, you know, son does horseback riding. And, oh, my friend Donna's daughter horseback rides. And they probably would have a ton to talk about, would connect you. And so like I naturally go there, which is probably what made me a really good recruiter when I was, you know, actually doing recruiting. So it's a bit of it like that, where I take a genuine interest in in getting to know people. I, well, now that I'm getting older, my memory isn't always as sharp as it once was, but I think (laughs) I remember. Welcome to the club, lady. I remember those things and I try and connect people and it comes from a, a genuine desire to help others, to be of service to others in my, in the world, in my community. But it also takes practice and it takes effort. And so I really do consciously make time to stay connected with people. If it's I'm on LinkedIn doing something and then in the people, you, you know, other people similar and I see a name that's familiar, I'll take the two seconds or, you know, two minutes and write a note to that person who I haven't talked to in a couple of years. But I, like I actively am reaching out to people and I try just in my regular life to make sure that every week I'm taking time a couple hours out of my week to reconnect with someone. So I know, Elaine, you and Tracy both at times will get messages from me and saying like, hey, we haven't talked in a while. How are you? What's going on? And and it might just be an email or it could be a, hey, let's actually find some physical space and time for us to talk and reconnect and hear what's going on. And so for me, it's important to keep a thumb on the people that I care about, that I've if I've worked with someone or interacted with them, if they weren't a jerk, Like I'm committed to helping them or giving a genuine interest in what's going on with them. As And I think this is so important, right? It's a skill and a capability. I think people have to learn how to master as they they want to succeed. I've had so many, one, great interactions with you and with others that have been 
helpful for me as I've grown, not just in learning new things or being exposed to new ideas, but um, have offered up new opportunities or new ways of thinking about what opportunities could be out there and and growing my career and growing my own reach and my own um, capabilities. Do you have any good stories of where kind of this work that you do focused on networking and making connections and, and being proactive in this space is, do you think it's been helpful to you? I mean, is it do you see this as a plus to your career growth and or is it just who part of who you are? It's definitely a plus. I've been able to help people connect to new job opportunities. I've introduced people who are now married. And hopefully they think it's a plus, right? And and listen, you have to be successful in networking and relationship building and all of that. It's altruistic and I don't know if that's the best word, but I'm not expecting anything, you know, quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something nice for someone in the hopes that they're going to like karma happens, right. I, it, karma happens naturally. Right. So I feel like if I put good things out in the world, good things will come back to me. I get pleasure just watching people that I, that have reported to me or I've mentored or coached along the way do good things. So I've seen people that were on my team's, you know, growing in their career. And it just makes me so proud. And I feel like, hey, I had a little bit of influence on that. Not saying they didn't do all the hard work on their own. But I think that that's really rewarding is to see uh, just seeing other people happy, connected, doing well in their careers or personal lives. And if I can help make an impact on it, then that really fulfills that fills my bucket. I yeah, that. I love. I feel the same way, Julia. I refer to it frequently as karma tax. I will tax. see somebody who needs something, and I give it to that. Like, right? And I don't want anything back. Like the number of yeah. times I will say, "Hey, you should know this person. This person now go, 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 do something amazing together." To giving somebody, you know, a dollar on the side of the highway. Like this is just karma tax. Things are good, right? And if things are good for you, spread it around. If you live your life trying to help others and give freely, when you need it, it will be there for you in return. And I know every time when I when I've got questions along the way, I know I've got a community of people that I can say, hey, we're trying to do X, like I'm struggling with whatever it is, or I know you did something similar. Can you tell me about it? I learn new things just from that, those types of conversations all the time. I had the luck of having that this year. Like the luck of having that this year was when we were just getting started to launch Work Drive. I posted out on LinkedIn. I was like, hey, friends, help a sister out. Tell me what makes a good demo. And everybody was so amazing and generous with the commentary that salespeople in the HR tech industry started tagging their salespeople friends. Like, you guys, listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to scoot back, though, Elaine, because part of your question, you know, was around, like, uh, things that people can do to be successful on building a strong network of, of and community. Yep. And I think that getting involved in the recruitment, marketing, employer brand, and talent acquisition space is really critical And so if you don't have a a tribe of people, a community of people who can help you, there are places you can go. So you've got A, people that are on this podcast, right? Connect with them on LinkedIn. 
tell them something that you they said that was insightful or thoughtful, add to the conversations that are going on. Um, but uh, you know, at conferences, I mean, Alain, that's where you and I met was at a conference. Several Facebook groups for whether it's talent technology or strategy or employer brand or recruitment marketing, there's those groups. There's the um, TAP, like um, talent acquisition professionals group. There's SHRM. There's uh, TALK, another one that I'm a little active with locally and um, on the Atlanta board for. There's a Silicon Valley TA execs group. Like there's so many different community, small and large, that you can just start meeting people and talking and connecting and building your own network um, yeah. from that perspective. I think the challenge is, Julie, and, I, and, and maybe the challenge I would put out to everybody, the, the kind of the take an action out of this is that I think a lot of people are viewers of these communities. They're connected on LinkedIn or they're connected through Facebook yep. or they go to a conference even or et cetera, but they are passive receivers mm-hmm. of others kind of information or kind of there. And I think in order to really start to build a network and um, to connect with others, you have to kind of take that first fearless step and put your own ideas out there or actually engage in the conversation at some level, right? And it can be as simple as, like you said, responding to somebody or saying, hey, I heard you say this and it was really interesting. I was thinking this, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's part of it. It has to go past just saying, I like this or I like what you said here and adding, you need to add your flavor to it. What's your next, how do you think about it like a great conversation, right? Just, you know, as if you were going to meet somebody at a coffee shop, um, and start having a conversation with them. Um, it's a two-way dialogue. It has to be not just them talking at you, but you asking questions and providing your own info and, and becoming valuable in return, right? It's this dialogue that goes back and forth. And I think there, you, you gave a great list of a fabulous places people can go and connect with others. It now becomes um, kind of everybody's job as you're in there to find ways that you actively then go in and, and connect and, and bring yourself and your point of view to the table and to the dialogue. And I think, like, listen, Tracy, right? We disagreed on who the hero is, and we did not get into a smashdown fight over it, right? We listened. <laughs> no! People might pay to see that, Tracy. Believe it or not, you can disagree with people without fighting. Sometimes that's easier said than done on social media. And I, I just want to put out, just ignore those detractors. There's trolls on every site. And so I have seen times where someone on some of the Facebook groups more specifically, like posted a question or something out there and then people just like piled on. And so I would just say, if you're someone that disagrees, you don't need to be a jerk about it. Always you know, go with kindness. That can cause people a little hesitancy. So find the right tribe. If there's a tribe where people are just jerks all the time, move on and go somewhere else where you're going to have, you know, like-minded people that are there to lift each other up and not be in a, a competition on, you know, who's the top dog or who can be the nastiest. That's always the, I mean, as an introvert myself and as dealing with my own anxiety, just natural anxiety issues um, as well. I think coming into these mm-hmm. communities, one of the very first challenges I had 
was getting comfortable with the idea that I could put something out there and somebody can disagree with it. And sometimes people were nasty and their way of inflating themselves was by making sure they deflated others or kind of poo-pooed them and in, in, in back into a corner and um, kind of pulling yourself up and just saying, I, I have a point of view and I'm going to feel comfortable with it. And I'm here to engage and have a conversation and to build your confidence in that space is really important. And don't get stuck with all the haters, right? But yeah. the yes and and being active and contributing and not just lurking is really critical, I think, to building your network and not just helping others, but in, in turn learning and helping yourself. And I will add, do it all with a sense of humor. Everybody yes. loves a good, it's a, enter, entertaining others and yourself is about being natural and being who you are. And I'm not saying, you know, be stagnant about, you know, if, if, if it's not who you are, that's fine. But I think coming in and, and sometimes shedding our corporate identity, right? And not feeling like we're sitting around a, a conference table and have to have all the right words and say it in just the right way. But, you know, get jiggy with it a little bit and, and have a little fun and, and be yourself. Bring your humor, bring your quirks to the table that makes you human. And when you're human, people connect with you. Well, there you go, guys. 100%. Julia, I, thank you for coming. And I think this is such a valuable conversation for so many people who are in this space. And I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you being one of the first ones to, to raise your hand and say you're willing to be part of this um, dialogue that, that we are, that Tracy and I are, are looking to have as we start having these chats with smart people, which is really all part of our Talent um, Rebel Alliance um, mission, which is bringing really smart, capable women together in, in the industry and helping them connect and be successful by by collaborating and supporting each other as we go through it. And so you're one of the bright voices in this space. And I really appreciate you coming and and sharing and willing to be a, a part of the part of the conversation. How do people get a hold of you, Julia, if they want to if they want to start engaging with you and give you their thoughts and share their ideas? How should they talk to you? Uh, Julia Levy at, on LinkedIn, at Recruiting Julia on Twitter and Instagram. You can email me, julia.levy at comscope.com. Happy to continue the conversation, Alyn and Tracy. I appreciate the opportunity. And you know, anytime I love... Uh, I love talking shop with you too. Um, and whatever I can do, <laughs> you and this uh, effort be successful, I'm on board. I love that. Well, we know you're that. obviously going to connect us to all the smart people that we can continue to interview, right? That's right. That's that's <laughs> it. That's your next, my next email to you is, okay, Julia, who's who else needs to be on the conversation? Who yeah. else do we bring? So I'm looking forward um, to connecting with you guys, hopefully in person soon. I think uh, conference season's opening back up and um, I'm looking forward to hopefully, hopefully um, we'll be out and about. Are you going to um, be in any of them this upcoming season, Julie, anything SHRM or HR tech or. I am speaking at a conference in September in New York city on uh, TA, TA stuff. Um, I think it's mid September. So I better get working on my presentation it's yeah so uh that's my first first one back hopefully it'll be uh in person well if you end up deciding that you're going to go to hr tech um specifically tracy and i are are looking at um pulling together an invite only um special conversation for those 
who are interested in evolving the dialogue around um, smart women connecting with smart women in the industry. So if you're interested or if you know others that are, or those of you who are listening who are going to be at HR Tech and would be intrigued with um, being an active participant in that dialogue over drinks and maybe Tracy will teach us to play craps, whatever we need to do, <laughs> we'd, love to, we'd love to connect with you. You can reach us at the Talent Rebel Alliance at gmail.com, or you can, of course, reach us at Lynn Bailey or P. Parsons. And thank you very much, Julia. We will chat soon. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Take care, y'all. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed yourself. The Talent Rebel Cast is part of the Talent Rebel Alliance. It's a movement connecting strong, independent, bossy, and, well, sometimes feisty women in the talent industry. Together, we're on a mission to grow our ideas, our presence, our value, and our impact. Smart women connecting with smart women to support each other. It's as simple as that. We believe big things happen from simple ideas. If you want to join the Talent Rebel Alliance, come on over and check out our website at talentrebelalliance.com. We hope to hear from you soon. questions we've got answers business leadership ownership and sales can be challenging tune into the accelerate your business growth podcast to learn from the world's experts join me your host diane helbig as i chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business you'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas tips and suggestions you need to realize greater success Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.